0: Good morning. Today is Thursday, September 21st, and we are going to do the second part of our series about medical murder being the number one cause of death in the U.S. Uh, Today is the day before my beautiful daughter Grace's 21st birthday, so she will be 21 tomorrow, September 22nd. And it is surprisingly 80 degrees in Wisconsin today, and we have 80 degrees for tomorrow and in the high 70s for Saturday. I can hardly believe it. So we're going to finish out summer on a warm note, which is, it feels nice. Anyway, with that said, I am Scott Shara. I am Grace's dad, and I have become a full-time advocate because of Grace's death waking me up and the desire that God has put on my heart to share what I'm learning with anybody with ears to hear. So last time we covered the first of the series, who's in on this and I, made the bold statement. They're all in on it. And we covered, of course, the medical industrial establishment, the federal government, the state government and judiciary, big business, the churches, which should shock most people, and last but not least, controlled opposition. And so today we're going to roll with the next piece of the series, which is what? What have these people all promoted and bought into? And you're going to find out in today that we have a culture of death. So Don, can you bring up the intro slide, please? So we're covering what the culture of death and let's jump right into it. Next slide, please, Don. Okay, so I showed this slide last time. We have been programmed to believe lies from every angle. And you're gonna see that through the seven part series Uh, You know, all the angles of lies that that they have been using and, and they've been using propaganda on us to get us to believe. All right, the next slide, please, Don. So this next slide I also covered last time, but I made an addition to it this time so you could see the numbers in a little bit different way. So historically, it has even been published by the CDC that medical malpractice is the third leading cause of death. And I'm making the bold claim that medical murder is the number one cause of death so we know that medical malpractice it can happen doctors are human they can make mistakes we're all human and there's even though those mistakes are horrendous i heard one this last week that that really framed it well there was a doctor who um, was working on a patient that that came in with a seizure and he admitted to the mom that his, uh, he cut too low with the scalpel, and that caused her son a permanent disability. So that's a medical malpractice. You have a situation, the doctor did the surgery, he missed the mark, he admits it, and that's what you would expect. But what's going on now, when I dug into what happened with Grace's death, and that opened up the door to walk through what's really going on, most of these situations with malpractice even historically have been medical murder and now the COVID era really opened this thing up so now we go to the current facts all-cause mortality is a 24 percent increase in the vaccinated that's huge and then the next the next one i'm going to have don bring up this graph if you could do that don i'd appreciate it all right so what you can see here so this started um before they they started charting before january 5th of 2020 so you can see we were at we were actually increasing our life expectancy before january 5th of 2020 and now we're at an overall average is at 13% all cause mortality increase in the United States. So if you just process that number 13% increase is roughly 371,000 additional deaths per year. So add that on to the medical malpractice number of 400,000 and you have almost 800,000 deaths caused by the medical industrial establishment that are simply the admitted deaths. And you see through the, you're going to see through the series, which you saw last week, that there's way more that they're part of in the hastening death process. So just by those two numbers, the medical malpractice and the increase in all-cause mortality at 13%, we're over the 700,000 number for heart disease annually. So now just with those two figures, medical murder becomes number one in the United States. All right, so let's go on to the topic for today, Don. Next slide. All right, so this is the agenda that they bought into. It's it's eugenics. So we're gonna define eugenics with the next slide, please. So we're all on the same page. Eugenics is excluding people in groups judged to be inferior or promoting those to be judged superior. Survival of the fittest has been proactively practiced since ancient times. And of course, on the right is my favorite picture of Grace. And you know, so Grace was one of those people. That would be judged inferior. The interesting thing about Grace, there was a couple of people who wrote Cindy and I after Grace died and said, Well, she won't have Down syndrome now that she's in heaven. And you know, I, I didn't take offense to it because they don't know, but personally, I think everybody in heaven is going to have Down syndrome. Why? Because Grace represented, she was the closest person to God that I ever saw. She represented God's love unconditionally i've never seen a human being do that but she did it i mean she loved me even when i was a jerk which is most of the time and she just was a beautiful soul so you know in this economy that they are promoting they being the globalist it is an economy that everybody gets judged based on performance in god's economy which is the economy that we all should want to be in which grace exemplified we're judged completely different way. We're judged based on how much we love. So then in, to take you all the way back to ancient times, the I don't know if it's documented before Plato, but Plato wrote a book in um, way back before Jesus was born called the Republic, which he, he documented the idea of a superior society. So we know eugenics has been going on for a long time, but what about today? Let's go to the next slide, Don. All right, so the current roots in, you know, in the modern world, this uh, article, by the way, is in the, so all of these things that I'm going through, I should have said this at the beginning, on Grace's main website, ouramazinggrace.net, we have a prominent uh, tab on the homepage that says medical murders, the number one cause of death, all of the research, all of the assets related, the detail outlines, all of that is encompassed on that page of the website. So Don will have, of course, links in the show notes and things that I I pay attention to specifically for this presentation, but the entire research project is documented on Grace's website. So for example, this, this screenshot of the horror, horrifying American roots of Nazi eugenics, that's an article that goes through and proves this beyond a shadow of a doubt. So you can link onto that article when you go onto Grace's website. So in that article, they quote a couple of things. One is the Rockefeller Foundation helped fund the German eugenics program and even funded the program that Joseph Mengele worked on before he went to Auschwitz. All right, that's a big deal. And the Rockefeller Foundation, along with a number of other charitable foundations, the Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, they are part of this eugenics campaign, which you're going to see a little bit later in this presentation at a very deep level. So you'll see the quote from Hitler there. You know, these are all from the article. Let's go on to the next slide, Don. All right, so this is just the introduction eugenics are the whole eugenics idea. It has become part of our sin nature and you can prove this even of yourself. So if you just think, well, I'm not like that. Well, we all have that mentality to a degree and it isn't where God wants us. So, for example, you see a a chain smoker that gets lung cancer and then you just think, well, I mean, he, he should have known better. But, you know, that isn't the attitude that we should have that's that is that type of attitude fosters the eugenics mindset and it's it's no good i mean we we need to show god's love and that's that's the opposite of the eugenics mentality all right so then how do they get eugenics into the population they've got to create a culture and they've done it well let's go to the next slide don all right so they so remember we're going from okay the united states in modern times starts working on eugenics Hitler adopts the eugenics program but now World War Two is over and what we did is we took 1600 of the Germans involved with the eugenics and we brought them back to the United States under a secret operation called Operation Paperclip let's go to the next slide Don so the the official narrative is the United States publicly renounced eugenics when Adolf Hitler adopted the philosophy. Remember, he adopted it from us. But what's the truth? So, Don, can you play the clip, please?
1: Operation Paperclip was a classified military program. It had a public face. So the idea was that you couldn't very well have 1600 Germans running around the United States in various military facilities or uh, ultimately in academic institutions and not have an explanation why and so with the German scientists came uh, a propaganda campaign to call them good scientists Samuel Gutzmet in a small ho- in a small apartment in Strasbourg France learns about this man dr. Kurt Blum, the deputy Surgeon General of the Reich. And he also learns about this man, Dr. Walter Schreiber, the Surgeon General of the Third Reich. What Goodsmith's finds and these papers that I looked at were remarkable because they're just a sort of seemingly benign correspondence between scientists. The apartment belonged to a, a doctor named Dr. Eugen Hagen, once a temperate man, worked in the United States on a Rockefeller Foundation scholarship. And Hagen was writing to Himmler and saying, of the hundred prisoners you sent me, a group of them died in transport. Please send more. And this is a terrifying moment for Operation Alsace because they realize that the Reich is experimenting on humans from the concentration camps. Kurt Debus, the first director of the JFK Space Center. Um, Toward the end of my research, I was Learning about Debus. He wore the SS uniform to work. He also, in documents that I read through thoroughly, uh, turned over a colleague to the Gestapo who had for making anti-Hitler remarks. And there's this incredible moment in that in the early part of Paperclip where one group of American intelligence officers who are recruiting for Paperclip find Debus's information out. And they notify the joint chiefs who, and the, the group working at the Pentagon to get the this, this different individual scientists here, and they say, Debus cannot be brought to the United States. He deliberately and viciously turned over a colleague to the Gestapo, who went to prison. But the joint chiefs say, we need him, and he comes. To this day, the National Space Club gives out the Dr. Kurt Debus Award
0: all right so i should have also made sure everybody's aware that these detailed links the entire interviews are in the they'll be in the show notes and these presentations that i'm doing are to just give you an inkling i'm hoping that you do a deep dive yourself that's why i'm providing on grace's website all the research so you can dive into this i just am doing um an introduction to the each one of the segments for the seven part series so that it hopefully motivates you to dig a little bit deeper. All right. Let's go on to the next slide, Don. So the conclusion of Operation Paperclip is that the United States continues to be the eugenics leader of today. So you heard the author say that the Germans were experimenting on humans, of course. The biggest experiment on humans was initiated by the United States with the COVID bioweapon, and that's where we're at today. All right, so how did they pull this off? How did they set the culture up? So we'll go to the next slide, Don. They set up a culture in the United States that is called the, I'm calling it the banality of evil. I didn't make up that term. Let's go to the next slide, Don. I want to give you a a short history of where that term came from. So Don, can you play that clip, please?
2: The banality of evil is a term coined by the 20th century political theorist Hannah Arendt to explain and describe this specific kind of evil that was present in totalitarian Nazi Germany. What does this peculiar phrase mean? What are its implications? And how does it fit into Hannah Arendt's thought more broadly? My name is Dr. Moore, by the way, I teach great books at St. Thomas University. So the banality of evil is a term that comes from this Very famous work that Arendt wrote called Eichmann in Jerusalem. The subtitle, in fact, is A Report on the Banality of Evil. In Eichmann in Jerusalem, Arendt reports on the 1961 trial in Israel of the Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann. And in that work, Arendt argues, and this is perhaps controversial, that Eichmann is representative, the way he thinks, the way he acts is representative of the whole problem of totalitarian evil. In particular, she thought we could understand why so many people, so many seemingly ordinary people, would participate in totalitarian regimes, would, would follow orders, and actively participate in crimes against humanity. This is Aaron's major question. How does that happen, and how can we prevent it from happening again in the future? So let's start with a quick definition of banality, because this is maybe an unfamiliar term. It's not something we use in everyday speech. So banality typically means trite, or trivial, or commonplace. And I think that third term, commonplace, is the one we want to focus on. Now, to say that evil is banal is somewhat jarring. Arendt, I think, means this term to be almost a paradox. It's, it's kind of like saying the normality of murder or the simplicity of adultery. But what Arendt wants us to understand is that when it comes to the evil of totalitarian regimes, there is something ordinary every day about it. Arendt draws our attention to the fact that the Holocaust involves many ordinary processes, It requires paperwork and trains, transportation, government offices doing their job, and many of these ordinary features of human life, medicine, legislation, these are turned, contorted, perverted. Typically when we think about evil, we're thinking about something out of the ordinary, unusual, maybe even extraordinary or unnatural. Traditionally, we understand evil to be something deviant or abnormal, and it's characterized by a bad will, by which we normally mean either a weak will, like someone who succumbs to temptation, or a malicious will, like someone who willfully does bad things. But this is crucial. Arendt says in the totalitarian context, evil has lost the character by which we recognize it. Totalitarian evil is something different. It's organized. In fact, it's orderly and even lawful. And it's defined by conformity, participation, and efficient systems like modern bureaucracies. And this kind of organized evil allows for evil on an unprecedented scale. But precisely because it's so orderly, lawful, it doesn't look like any evil we're familiar with.
0: So when I first learned of this idea, it helped me understand how Grace could be murdered and how this could take hold in the United States. And for those of you who don't believe we're in a totalitarian uh, system, Uh, it doesn't take long to connect the dots. I'm not going to do that here. So has this whole banality of evil, has it become part of our culture such that we're blind to it? And I believe it has. In the next slide, I want to show some examples. So I picked uh, six examples. I'm just going to hit these very quickly. So we know, for example, we have an abortion culture that Takes out the disabled. So, what does that look like? What is the banality? Why is that? Why do I, I call it commonplace? Well, because a young couple gets pregnant, they go into the doctor's office and he says, Let's schedule your amniocentesis. They don't even question that. They just automatically go along with it. The insurance pays for it, whereas they should not even be doing that. So, they go along with that. And then he says, Well, it, it, he comes back with the results of the test. He said, I, I, you're going to have a boy, but I think he's going to have Down syndrome. I think we should schedule an abortion. And they obediently follow the white coat. And they don't have any roots. They, they just, just think that that's the norm. So when evil becomes the norm, that's the banality of evil. The nursing home culture, very easy to to show that. I'm in the last generation that would take care of parents. As they get elderly now, and I'm going to show a slide on this later relative to the nursing home costs. But now when mom misses the mail one day, the kids want to put her in a dementia center. Nobody even gives that a second thought. That's become the norm. And of course, the public fool system, you know, we're first programmed that mom and dad both have to work. And now the kids have to get all their shots before they can go to the full system. But the full system itself is designed to train out critical thinking. Uh, I'm not gonna go through examples here because we don't have enough time, but I I have hired young people. I own a business and you will see this uh, so often. I, I'll go through one quick example. I had one young person who was a college graduate and he was uh, he took our van to deliver our company van to deliver down in Madison. And so we live towards Green Bay. So he's a couple hours away. And he called me and said, I'm almost out of fuel. And I said, Well, why didn't you, you know, why did not you swing into a gas station? And he said, Well, I don't have any money. <laughs> and I said, Well, use a credit card. He said, Well, my credit cards are all full. Now, he was brand new, uh, so we didn't have a company credit card for him. So I said, Well. I mean you're gonna have to drive back as fast as you can and then he said to me why didn't you check the fuel before i left this morning so that gives you an example of the mindset of young people coming out of college Uh, the state taking the place of family of course they you know they want to have three-year-old kindergarten you know both parents working drop off before after so then the family really doesn't even have the place in that it used to. We want everybody on the public dole because then the public money can control everybody. The spirit of collectivism, the fifth item there, collectivism means the the good of the masses versus the good of the individual. And with COVID, of course, we saw this a lot. I mean, they they convinced us that we had to triage medical care, and you're going to see it had nothing to do with COVID as we go through the slides here. So we need to uh, ration care because we've got to look at the, the good of the population. In fact, you see some people who who got the jab and they've had reactions to the jab and they said, well, I would do it again because I, we've got to do this for the good of mankind. Uh, it's a crazy thought process. And of course, uh, last but not least, moral relativism. So morality is absolute. God has standards and those are absolute standards. But if we take the idea of you know, the definition of liberal means morality is relative, non liberal is morality is absolute. And when we start looking at morality as relative, oh my gosh, all kinds of crazy things happen. And this next video will put an exclamation point on that. And I, when you watch this, realize this was this experiment was done in the United States 60 years ago. So, what do you think? where do you think things are at today if they were this bad 60 years ago so don you can go ahead and roll that clip please
3: one of the most famous studies of obedience in psychology was carried out by stanley milgram a psychologist at yale university he conducted an experiment focusing on the conflict between obedience to authority and personal conscience In 1963, Milgrim examined justifications for acts of genocide offered by those accused at the World War II Nuremberg War Criminal Trials. Their defense often was based on obedience, that they were just following orders from their superiors. Milgrim devised the experiment to answer the question, Could it be that those who committed such atrocities in the Holocaust were just following orders? could we call them all accomplices? Milgram wanted to investigate whether Germans were particularly obedient to authority figures, as this was a common explanation for the Nazi killings in World War II. Milgram selected participants for his experiment by a newspaper advertising for male participants to take part in a study of learning at Yale University. The procedure was that the participant was paired with another person and they drew lots to find out who would be the learner and who would be the teacher. The draw was fixed so that the participant was always the teacher, and the learner was an actor hired, pretending to be a real participant. The learner, who was an actor, called Mr. Wallace, was taken into a room and had electrodes attached to his arms, and the teacher and researcher went into a room next door that, that contained an electric shock generator and a row of switches marked from 15 volts which is a slight shock to 375 volts which had a danger reading of severe shock and up to 450 volts which is enough to kill a human being get me
2: out of here please continue please I go right out to go on. the experiment requires you continue teacher please
3: continue Participants were comprised of 40 males, aged between 20 and 50, whose job ranged from unskilled to professional. They were paid $4.50 just for turning up to the study. At the beginning of the experiment, they were introduced to the other participant, which was the actor, taking on the role as the learner. The experimenter, who was also an actor, was dressed in a grey lab coat, played by an actor, not Milgram himself. Two rooms in the Yale laboratory were used, one for the learner with an electric chair and another for the teacher and the experimenter with an electric shock generator. The learner, Mr. Wallace, was strapped to a chair by electrodes. After he had learned a list of paired words given to him to learn, the teacher tests him by naming a word and then asking the learner to recall its partner or pair from a list of four possible choices. The teacher is told to administer an electric shock every time the learner made a mistake. The learner gave mainly wrong answers on purpose and for each of these, the teacher gave him an electric shock. When the teacher refused to administer a shock, the experimenter was to give a series of orders and prods to ensure that they continue. There were four prods and if one was not obeyed, then the experimenter, who was called Mr. Williams, read out the next prod and so on. The four prods were firstly, please continue. Secondly, the experiment requires you to continue. Three, it is absolutely essential that you continue. Four, you have no other choice but to continue. So what were the results of the study? Morgan found that 65%, almost two thirds of the participants, the participants who played the role as the teachers administering the electric shock, continued to the highest levels of 450 volts, all the participants continued to at least 300 volts. Mulgram did more than one experiment. In fact, he carried out 18 variations of a study, all with similar results. So this can't be taken as one sort random and non occurring event.
0: Dan, can you go to the conclusion slide, please? So you see the conclusion, I say the slippery slope of evil has taken a hold of in our culture. So when you look at the Milgram obedience experiment and two thirds of the participants would kill based on an order, you know, we don't think of that in daily life, but COVID exposed it. And the slippery slope means it starts slowly. So just take the, the idea of the public fool system. Back when I was in school, the teacher wrote the assignment on the chalkboard. You were expected to write it in your notebook and get the assignment done on time. If you didn't get the assignment done on time, you got an F well now. What does the slippery slope look like? The child gets the constant reminder. They don't have to take any responsibility for the due date. And then if they don't hand in the assignment on time, they get a do over. You know, so that that is the slippery slope in action, and it has created this culture of death, which has taken over our society. All right, let's go to the next introduction slide, Don. What I want to do next is to go through the medical murder of the elderly and the disabled in recent history. And then we're going to transition to how does this apply to the bigger population? All right, let's go to the next slide, Don. So first, we're going to talk through um, a little bit about the disabled, but here's the introduction. So this is modern times. Ezekiel Emanuel, who's the chief architect of Obamacare, already in 1996, said that services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. So non-participating citizens should not receive medical care. All right, so this is serious stuff then we get of course to Obamacare so he writes Obamacare Obamacare is passed on March 23rd of 2010 and that laid the groundwork for what we experienced in the 39 month COVID era so here's the document that sets the stage let's go to the next one if you've been watching me you know that I have really emphasized section 1553 Uh, The entire Obamacare document is on Grace's website. This is page 141. And you can see that this is the title of this one is Prohibition Against Discrimination on Assisted Suicide. So they write a provision in the Obamacare document that says, if you're going to discriminate against what we want to do, we will, or excuse me, if you won't implement what we are going to do, we will not discriminate against you. So it says specifically, the government may not subject an individual or institutional healthcare entity to discrimination on the basis that that entity does not provide. This is the agenda. Any healthcare item or service furnished for the purpose of causing or the purpose of assisting in causing the death of any individual, such as by assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing. Here it is. That's the smoking gun. All right, let's go to the next slide then, Don. So we look at what happened with COVID. So interestingly, because Grace was disabled, I saw this happen in real time. We received documents. Hey, your your daughter's at risk because she has Down syndrome. She can be first in line for the COVID jab. We never did that. So they set this up like the disabled are high risk. Well, the disabled weren't any higher risk than anybody else. But what we found with the results is that the disabled were six times more likely to die in a hospital once the hospital chose to diagnose them with COVID, fitting the narrative that they wanted to portray. They did the same thing with the elderly, which I'm going to expose here in a minute. So this shouldn't surprise us. So let's go to the next slide, Don. It should be absolutely no surprise that the elderly um, were six times more likely to die because they already set this whole attitude in motion. This is the the biggest small document I found the Down syndrome population implementing Obamacare. Remember, Obamacare passed March 23rd of 2010. This document is a training document for doctors, for people with Down syndrome, written in the July of 2011. So this is, this is the mindset they're training doctors to believe in. And so you can look at this yourself. You can see that. They list just all kinds of problems that Down syndrome people have, and what they're doing is trying to set up this issue where the medical professional believes that the Down syndrome person is a burden on the family and it's their job to get rid of that burden. So for the record, grace was the best blessing God ever gave us second to salvation. She was fantastic. Our whole life circled around that little bugger. And, you know, it was was an absolute blast. How would you like to have a 10-year-old running around your house every day? I mean, 10-year-old kids are the most fun. You know, they're asking questions all the time. They're, they're, they're loving all the time. I mean, that was grace. She was 24 seven that way. It was, was an absolute blast, but they're setting the medical profession up because remember this profession wants you to abort the down syndrome person. They're setting this profession up to say, these people are a burden. So then the transition statement says the lifelong toll on families is high. Part of a robust plan of care includes acknowledgement of this toll by healthcare providers healthcare provider, you can come in on the white horse and be the savior to this family to get rid of this nasty burden they have called Down syndrome. And then the killing statement says, whenever possible, decision makers for people with Down syndrome should be encouraged to use substituted judgment to make key palliative care decisions. All efforts should be made to determine the preferences of the patient. However, because of lifelong cognitive impairment, the views of the person with Down syndrome may not be known. Think that through. Fill in the blank down syndrome dementia you know any ailment so all of a sudden when they don't know your view i mean i I know the view of every single person with down syndrome they want to live but all of a sudden they can't discern your view so they get to use their judgment which of course you already see what their judgment shows all right let's go to the next slide don so this should not be surprising with the the abortion culture relative to Down syndrome. So surprisingly, this article, which this will be in the, the research outline, is on the National Institute of Health. And this lady who wrote the article, she did really a great job. She said, why are we even doing this? Let's get Down syndrome. Down syndrome shouldn't even be discussed. Well, bigger picture, abortion shouldn't even be discussed. And then Sarah Palin wrote, this is a quote out of this article, that she was, when she learned that she was going to have a child with Down syndrome, she was shocked. And with abortion rates hovering around 90% after Down syndrome is diagnosed, she isn't the only one who has feared the unknown. And what I say, the fear of the unknown is for the person that they're killing. You know, these Down syndrome Kids are are the most magnificent kids on the planet. Like I said earlier, I think everybody in heaven is going to have Down syndrome. All right, so we've got an abortion culture for the disabled. 90% of Down syndrome people are aborted in the United States. I mean, this should shock anybody watching this. All right, Don, let's go to the next one because it gets worse. All right, so what about the elderly? All right, so these are the two, number one and number two population groups taken out with COVID. And there's an underlying reason. It's because the cost, they've convinced us in the spirit of collectivism that we've got to deal with costs. And right now, 50% of the annual federal budget goes to fund people on Medicare and Medicaid. I mean, it's, it's huge. All right. So does that mean that the consequence is you need to take these people out. And I was sharing this the other day with a gentleman and I'll just share it here that the average cost of a person on Medicare and Medicaid annually is about $32,500 a year. And the average bonus a hospital received during the 39 month COVID era, which is still alive and well, by the way, but during that 39 months, the average bonus they received for killing somebody was a hundred thousand. All right, so in a business model, that has a three-year payback. So they've convinced the population to buy into this idea. So now you look at, I'm going to show you some numbers here. The So Medicare and Medicaid, when we look at the 49 years when Medicaid and Medicare started, so 1970 all the way to 2019, that's 49 years, there's over a 10,000% increase in cost. For those of you who are not familiar, before COVID, there were 62 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. They relaxed the rules. They, meaning our government, relaxed the rules, putting their arm around people saying, We're going to get you through this COVID thing. And so now we have up to 135 million people on Medicare and Medicaid on purpose because Medicare and Medicaid is designed to hasten death. All right, let's go to the next one. So now this shows, this next slide shows the cost of. Nursing care. So, nursing home facility care from 1960. So, remember, I said earlier about I'm in the last generation to take care of the parents. This shows it beyond a shadow of a doubt because the cost of taking care of the elderly has increased in a 59 year period. These documents are right from the CDC website, folks. It's over a a 20,000% increase. And this stuff you can't make up, but this is what's going on. This is the excuse they're using to eliminate the disabled and the elderly from the population. All right, let's go to the next one, Don. So I want to show you some, uh, so this one is a projection that we're going to get into some COVID numbers. So you see by 1950 that the number of people using assisted living type facilities is going to more than double from the year 2000. So 13 million in 2000 expected to be 27 million by 2050. So, of course, you see this is it's already a monster issue. It's going to become even worse because they're programming people to become dependent on these systems. All right. So let's go to the next slide, Don. This one really shocked me when I saw it, but then I I shouldn't have been shocked because I've become friends with Vera Sherov, and she's going to share some things in, in in summary once I go through the slide. So, right from from the government website on the left hand side, you see that the number of people who died in nursing homes were t- roughly ten percent during the. COVID time frame. All right. So what should have been the real number? So you look at this chart on the right hand side and you see that the actual death count for the elderly should be in closer to the 1% number versus the 10% number. So that should wake you up. Just like, did they do this on purpose? All right, Don, can you roll the clip from Vera? Cause she does a great job explaining
4: the why. All Western European countries. Australia, Canada, at least five states in the United States, got rid of the elderly right. in nursing homes. They, The governments in all those countries gave orders to hospitals not to treat. It includes Sweden, everywhere. Right, everywhere that's controlled by, by the, the Fourth Reich, I call them. Yeah. Well... They saw an opportunity to get rid of, number one, an economic burden. Right. The insurance companies were delighted. Obviously, they no longer had to pay out anything. The important parallel that I have drawn between the Holocaust and that mentality, the culture that made it possible, was the collaboration of the medical establishment. Right. Today, it's the same thing. You would not have the casualties or the isolation and the lockdowns and the ma- all the nonsense surrounding COVID, which is dehumanizing, right. without the medical establishment giving their seal of approval. Yeah. This is terribly important because medicine has once again been subverted to become a weapon. Yep. When medicine is weaponized, you know, you really have to watch out because number one, of course, people, are, they go like sheep because they trust right. doctors and governments in all of Western Europe and Canada and Australia issued orders to hospitals not to treat the elderly, to send them to nursing homes where they essentially spread infection to others, both the caregivers and the other residents. And they essentially slaughtered, they slaughtered the elderly in nursing homes. In New York, 15,000 elderly New Yorkers were medically murdered under the orders of Andrew Cuomo, who Predicted before he gave the order, before he issued the order March 19th, 2020, he predicted that this virus in nursing homes will be like fire through dry grass. He knew exactly what he was doing and he gave the order after giving immunity from liability to the hospitals and nursing homes. All
0: right. So, I am making the bold claim that medical murder is the number one cause of death in the United States. And just by the raw numbers that I explained at the beginning, you can see it with your own eyes. But when you start digging into what they are really doing and the numbers that are really happening, uh, you start seeing that their medical murder is number one by miles compared to anything else heart disease, cancer combined in the country. All right, let's go on to the closing slide of this section, Don. So you can see my conclusion, the disabled and the elderly are the low-hanging fruit of the eugenics mindset the culture has adopted. Hastening death is murder. And we're going to play one more clip. This is the last one today of Vera and I talking about this, that history never stopped repeating itself. Uh, So Don, can you play that clip, please?
4: if you don't know the past then the whole thing makes no sense and most people in fact feel as though nothing is making sense
0: you know this agenda that they pushed seemed like it was innocent at the beginning but it, it never was innocent and no. you know that agenda which you know as it applied to grace uh was you know trust the white coat so that trust the white coat has been part of the agenda for a long time, and we fell trapped to it, and ultimately that agenda uh, caused the murder of, of my beautiful daughter, Grace.
4: Everything from the beginning of March 2020, every directive that we've gotten about what we have to do to protect ourselves from COVID was a lie, every single one.
0: They've got immunity from liability. Uh, They have the financial temptation that only the most godly of men could turn down. And then you have the shroud of secrecy because the family's not there.
4: The social distancing, the masks, the lockdowns, the, the isolation, and the constant barrage of listening to the news. All of it was just absolutely shaped to get people conditioned to become obedient serfs.
0: They killed Grace. They killed Grace while we were there.
4: When the children died, doctors filled out death certificates stating that the cause of death was natural causes.
0: Absolutely, I mean, now it's so crystal clear COVID was simply used as the excuse to implement the agenda. And I mean, boy, have they implemented in a fast and furious way.
4: The first victims uh, of medical murder were German infants and children, and then the mentally ill and other disabled and nursing home residents. And they They did it all in the same way. You had the medical doctors uh, assuring the families when they were taking away the children, for example, they assured them that they were going to be getting special treatment to improve their health. And then they took them off to hospital wards that became killing stations. It's very parallel because again, death certificates during COVID have also been fraudulent.
0: Well, thank you, Don. Yeah, the um you know, history has never stopped repeating itself. And there's a tab on Grace's website dedicated to the interviews that Vera and I did together and also the World War II comparison, so you can see it. I mean, we are literally uh, repeating exactly what happened, but this time it's worldwide. All right, so now you think, let's go to the next slide. You think that, well, I'm not disabled or elderly, so this doesn't apply to me. Well, uh, this next um A couple of slides are going to connect the dots that uh, you're next. All right, so let's go to the first slide, Don. So the convergence of the attack on the entire population. I'm just in the medical murder lane. That's only one tentacle of the depopulation agenda. Of course, we've got wars, famine, food shortages, China threats, climate manipulation poisoning of the food and water, controlling the power grid, buying and selling with fake money, 5G, phone radiation, fluoride in the water, mercury fillings, organ harvesting, open borders, the trans movement, CBDC. This convergence is also all designed to put us into the control grid and snap it closed. So then we have no way out other than to be obedient slaves. All right, let's go to the next slide, Don. This whole thing in the United States got started in, it was probably way before this, but because we remember United States started the eugenics campaign in the early 1900s, and then Operation Paperclip was way before this. But here we have a formal document that is, was written in 1967. This was written by two two men, Burleson and Jaffe, that in the entire document is on Grace's website. It's a long document, but this is the the final piece of it that that shows what was their plan? What did they write in 1967 as the plan to depopulate the United States? And I've highlighted a few things. So you can see encourage increased homosexuality, um, uh, fertility control agents in the water supply, tax married couples more than single, chronic depression, uh, discover, or excuse me, yeah, discourage private home ownership. Interestingly, I had a a story that this just happened last week with a local realtor that said they just put up a 200 unit apartment building in a town with only 3000 people and it filled instantly. Uh, Payments to encourage abortion and abortion and sterilization on demand. So this has been in the works for a long time folks and we're all part of it. All right, so let's go to the next one, Don. This slide was just given to me this last week. So Ascension Hospital System is one of the defendants in our lawsuit. The lady who sent this, of course, um, she knows that, and you know, she's been following Grace's story. So, you know, you can't make this up. So the the underlying piece, parents are removed from the system when the patient turns 12. So kids get complete control of their medical future once they're age 12, but they can grant proxy access to parents. If they do grant proxy access, you see the three bullets in yellow. the social history information such as such as sexual activity, substance abuse, et cetera, can't be provided to the parent. The ability to uh, for the proxy, the parent to schedule, cancel, view, or confirm appointments and view past appointments. They can't see that and to the parent cannot view sensitive lab and radiology reports. This is hard to even grasp that they're giving the rights of an adult to a 12-year-old and the parents can't do anything about it. So so the conclusion slide, Don, I already said this, uh, you're next. So don't think that this is only for the elderly and disabled folks. All right, let's go to the final segment, Don. All right, so how do they pull this off? So we've created even we've accepted they've created we've accepted a banality of evil in this culture and they are they pulled it off because there's no consequences and you know I'm I'm intimately familiar uh, with this because of Grace's lawsuit and which is going to be the next slide I just want to hit what's going on so I took this uh, screenshot out of Grace's lawsuit go ahead Don you can all right. So you can see this is right out of Grace's lawsuit in the second paragraph. It says the legislature's purpose in enacting a statutory scheme. Look at the word scheme. It is a scheme to govern claims for damages arising out of alleged medical negligence was to encourage health care providers to remain in Wisconsin by imposing certain limits on the causes of action that a patient or her family can pursue and the types and amount of damages that can be recovered. So this is their immunity from liability paragraph. This is right in state statute. By the way, all the states have similar things. so don't think this is unique to Wisconsin. So that game, just think about what's going on. How, why do we need to limit liability for doctors? Good doctors don't need to have a limit of liability. I own a business. I don't get a limit of liability. Why do they get a limit of liability? Why do they have a wall around them? But this is the game that the healthcare lobby has facilitated with the state legislatures in order to facilitate the culture of death. And it gets worse than this. Let's go to the two examples in the next slide. Think about the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986. This was passed on November 14th signed into law by Ronald Reagan in 1986. So uh, it eliminates downstream liability for all vaccine manufacturers. I mean, none of these vaccines have ever been tested and now they get an a free pass on liability. You gotta be kidding me. If you had to be responsible for the consequences of your choices, they would test and they would be safe. And I wouldn't be for vaccines anyway, because I believe God's got it covered. But regardless of your position, the removing liability from the equation always results in problems, which I'm going to close with. And then how about you know, if you haven't watched Died Suddenly, I'd encourage you to do that. You know, people are just dropping over. It's it's continuous. And so they invent then a new term for it. And you remember sudden infant death syndrome, which is caused by vaccines. Now they have sudden adult death syndrome, also caused by a bioweapon disguised as a vaccine. All right, so let's go to the conclusion, Don. So God's economy has consequences for choices. When those consequences are removed by law, The effects are catastrophic and of course we're seeing that today and let's go to the final slide Don. All right, so up next next week we're going to get into. um, Something that is will shock a lot of you so where where is this even coming from and so i'm going to discuss mystery Babylon and the United States position as. Mystery Babylon is where this is all happening, and it's on purpose. All right, thanks for watching today. I really appreciate you following what we are doing, what we're exposing, and following Grace's story. Have a good day.